What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 166 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Mitko Karchovsky. Mitko is the host of That Remote Show, and he hosts a website called That Remote Life, where he talks about being a digital nomad and what that really means and how people can get started on that path to becoming a digital nomad and location independent from work. It's a really cool show. You definitely should check it out. Mitko has a really interesting, cool life story. He was born in Bulgaria post-communism where he talks about the lean years and then his family won the lottery and got to come to the States. Now, when I say lottery, I mean they won the green card lottery. They put themselves in a lottery that every year was picking people to come over to the States, give them opportunity for a different life. His family eventually won. And it was really interesting hearing him compare and contrast and talk about the difference and, you know, that first 10 years in Bulgaria versus then coming to America and starting anew. It's super inspirational and very humbling just to know that, you know, so many people in this world don't start at the same point in life, in getting the same opportunities. And it just makes me so grateful to have come from the area I came from, Southern California, be born into the family I was born into. I mean, there in that statement alone is, you know, I won the lottery. I won the lottery just by being born into the environment that I was born into. And I think for myself, it's a perspective that I always like to keep close to my heart and at the top of mind because it's easy to forget when you are striving to accomplish a goal and there's many ups and downs and it's easy to sometimes fall into negative thought patterns and become discouraged when ultimately my life situation is awesome. I won the lottery the day I was born and keeping that in perspective I think is something that I definitely need to always keep close. So thank you, Mitko, for coming on and sharing your story, folks. Check out That Remote Show if you want to learn how to become a digital nomad. Mitko brings a lot of successful digital nomads, and they talk about how to do it and the road to becoming location-independent from work and traveling around the world, living in spots for you know months at a time, and then moving to new spots, joining the community of digital nomads. It's an awesome show. Check it out. And if you're a first-time listener, please pull up that phone, hit the subscribe button, and if you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can either go to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and purchase a t-shirt. I love seeing my audience wearing my t-shirts. Or you can go to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects and you can give a monthly donation to Misfits and Rejects. $1, $2, $5. It's up to you. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. It does really help me though. Those who are donating, thank you so much. It helps subsidize some of the cost of creating this podcast on a weekly. It also allows me to buy a few beers for some of the guests that I get to sit down with in person and just show my appreciation to them for sitting down with me for that 45-minute period in which we converse. And if you didn't know this, all the Patreons get a special bonus gift of a live, uncut, raw video of all the episodes I do with people in person. So I have started filming the episodes where I sit down with somebody in person and conduct a live interview. Um, I don't edit the footage at all. I just let it rip and send it to all the Patreons who support me as just a gift to see the environment in which I'm sitting with these people in, what it's really like to conduct an interview. And you get to see all the hiccups and things that are misspoken and sometimes some conversations that get cut out because they're a little bit too raw. So... If that interests you, you can head over to patreon.com, give a little donation, and I will send you those live, uncut, raw videos as well. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Mitko Karchovsky. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Mitko Karchovsky, who is a digital nomad, roaming around the world, and living the life that I'm definitely aspiring to get to. It seems like he's been more successful at it than I. He's been at two and a half years, and I thought I'd bring him on to share his experience, how he's doing it, why he's doing it, and hear a little bit about his life. So, Mitko, welcome to the show. Thanks, brother. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's nice to hear your voice. You are in uh, Budapest right now? 
Yes, it's uh, it's one of my favorite cities in the world, and uh, it's a place that uh, this is my third time here, and uh, finally getting to come around and spend a little more time here. So, yeah. Why is it your favorite place? I don't know, man. There's something about it. There's a vibe. Like, have you ever been here? No, I haven't. There's just there's just a vibe that I really like about it. Like, it's very like Parisy in a way. You know, it's like really beautiful. It's got the long like wide boulevards, and it's really really nice. But obviously, at like a way cheaper price point than Paris. Um, there's lots of really cool people. There's lots of like nomads and location independent, you know, entrepreneurs who come and like call this place home. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a really interesting city, and it's kind of got a little bit of like a like a grungy vibe, you'd almost say, you know, like a Berlin, um, but it's not, it's not turned up that much. So it's just, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like a really cool, really fun place to be. No, it sounds like exactly what I would be looking for in a city that I want to hang out in. Are, is that the city that has all the bathhouses that has the parties in them? Yeah, yeah. So they have, there's a couple of like, there's like the two really main ones. And one of them is the one that's like, they throw these like, like foam parties and stuff like that, which to me, to be honest, like I don't know if I want to go like soaking in a place where every weekend they throw foam parties with like drinks and stuff, but teach their own. Yeah. Have you been to any of them? I know that one doesn't sound like it's up your alley, but have you been to a, these bath parties before? Uh, not the bath parties, but I went to the Gellert baths, which are like the kind of like one of the main ones. And they're kind of right in the center of the city. And it's sweet, man. They have like these like beautifully decorated, really ornate baths. And they're almost like pools, like really large, like hot tubs. Imagine them. And it, they have a couple of rooms. And in each room, there's a couple of like baths. And each one is a different temperature. So what you can do is you can jump in a really hot one and then get out and then walk over to a cool one and just kind of do your thing. It's it's really neat. Are these ancient? Like have they been there for hundreds of years? I don't know how ancient they are. They're definitely old, but they're not like hundreds or thousands, you know? I don't know. They're like I'd say from like the mid-1800s. Okay. I don't know. Okay. These are not natural pools that are hot. It's kind of the heat them up in ways. I don't know about that. So it's interesting because, for example, in Bulgaria, where I'm originally born, we have a lot of natural springs that then feed into like baths that are like kind of more modern. So I don't know if that's the same case here or not. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about that because, yeah, you were born in Bulgaria, lived there till 10, and then moved to Ohio. What was that like, <laughs> that transition, and why? Why did you have to go to Ohio? Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, essentially what happened was like a lot of families at that time, you know, right after communism fell and there was a lot of like years when things were really, really tough, you know, uh, in that kind of like, uh, the, the Balkan block of countries and a lot of families at the time started applying for, uh, trying to get over to the United States, you know, to immigrate uh, or to other countries in Europe just to like pursue a better life. And we applied really early on and didn't get in. Uh, but what we didn't know was that your name kind of stays in the lottery, right? Like the green card is, a, is it's a type of lottery. And in 2003, we received a letter in the mail that, you know, from like when we entered the lottery in like the mid 90s. And the letter said like you've won the chance like a like go interview for a green card and actually I found the letter and I spoke English and I was like oh like what the fuck like oh this is crazy I don't know can you swear on your podcast I'm sorry um okay cool um so yeah and that was uh really crazy so we went through like several rounds of interviews and I don't think a lot of people realize just how tough it is to actually get like a green card like you go through like multiple rounds of interviews they do like all sorts of background checks to make sure that you're not like crazy person um, and so, yeah, we moved to Ohio because we had family friends, um, who are from Bulgaria who lived, uh, in Ohio. And so, yeah, I started fourth grade in, in Ohio. So you spoke English in fourth grade before you even got to America. Was that because it was part of the curriculum back in Bulgaria? Yeah. So it's definitely like, it's really, it's heavily suggested that you learn a second or third language, 
when you're growing up in Bulgaria because, you know, Bulgarian spoken by what, like 7 million people. And if you're going to really go out and pursue bigger opportunities, you need to speak another language. Um, now, to say that I spoke English in fourth grade is a bit of an overstatement. Uh, I knew how to get by, you know, like I could figure out how much something cost or where the bathroom was at school or something like that. But um, I definitely learned I would say like learned English when I moved. So I, I I knew a little bit, but not enough to like call myself fluent. Was it a choice you made though back in Bulgaria or was it your parents pushing you because they spoke multiple languages? I think probably a little bit of both. Like I was definitely excited to learn English. I mean, I grew up watching Cartoon Network and shit. So like, you know, you kind of as a kid like pick it up and, um, you know, the American culture is so prevalent that you need to learn it in order to understand kind of like what's going on. But also my parents pushed me um, pretty, pretty strongly to go and learn English. So. Yeah, which I'm super thankful for now. So I think all kids, yeah, when they get older, they're thankful for the pushing of the parents when it comes to that kind of stuff, like piano or languages. You know, they're like, it sucked, but I'm glad I have that skill set. Yeah, I think it's. I think you're definitely right, but I also think that it takes a lot of like doing it in the right way because I've seen friends of mine who their parents maybe pushed them a bit too much and like didn't really look for it and they became almost like they they dislike it now so they might be really good piano players like you said but because they were pushed and didn't want to do it like they dislike and they just don't do it anymore so i think you're right i just think there's a happy like medium that you got to look for Uh, that's why it's so tough to be a parent right so absolutely it's it's a fine balance um just sorry i don't know my history well enough and growing up through the age of 10 in bulgaria that was was it a communist block communist country or was it had it already like fallen i just don't know yeah, so the wall, the Berlin Wall fell in 89, right? So I was born in 1993. So in those four years is and a few years after 93, you have what are called like my parents refer to as the hungry years, right? It's when the Soviet Union fell and this version of government that you were reliant on disappeared. And what a lot of people realize is that it's not like immediately the next day there was democracy, right? It was kind of like this whole period of time where people were like, well, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. So um, it had to be figured out. And my mom has stories of, you know, going to the grocery store and there's nothing on the shelves but vinegar holding down like wax paper, right? Um, So Vinegar holding down wax paper for what purpose? Just to so the wax paper wouldn't blow away? Or <laughs> I don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Talking to people who have been in these types of countries and then transitioning to America. I'm always, I know you're pretty young, but I'm always curious as to what that felt like. You know, a lot of Americans, I think, hold this strong idea that you know capitalism is the greatest way of thinking there could be and then having somebody come into the system like do you remember having your parents or how you felt about coming into the american system especially as a young child impressionable what that felt like was was it exciting was it scary was it really different from what you knew yeah i mean all of those things man um i mean it's definitely super different than from what i know um just the lifestyle is different, but at the same time, it was incredibly exciting and interesting. And it's this thing that I always dreamed of because what people say is true. The United States is the land of opportunity, right? You can be whatever you want to be. And that mindset is something that is really rare. Um, and especially like, I mean, there are places in the world where if you ask people, they don't have that mindset, right? They believe they're going to be exactly where they are now 10 years, you know, from then. Um, And so coming into that and just watching the way things get done is really interesting um, and was very exciting for me growing up. Yeah, I'll bet. And so where, yeah, where did life take you as you started to, you know, adapt to the system? I mean, were you all of a sudden being groomed to be an entrepreneur and and get that piece of the American pie or what happened? Um. Yes and no. So my dad's always been very entrepreneurial, but obviously when we moved to the U.S., he kind of had to do whatever he had to do to support our family. So my dad worked as a janitor, you know, in the, in the museum and like all this kind of like, you know, crappy jobs. But he was in Bulgaria, like very entrepreneurial. He started some of like the first um, like uh, European Union funded companies actually to help and like improve things in our city. Um, so 
I definitely had that entrepreneurial bone, but I didn't know it until I got to high school and I actually started a class um, in biotechnology, if you're familiar with the field. Um, and it's uh, it was a course that lasted two years. And the first year, you essentially learned a lot of like the core principles and skills that it takes for you to you know work in that field. And then the second year, you work on a project. And you like think of it as like a thesis, for example. So you start the year kind of like brainstorming ideas of projects that you want to take. And then by the end of the year, you have to present them to a board that kind of like judge what you do. And my idea, my experiment ended up becoming a business plan that I then pitched to this business plan as if I was like going to pitch a startup, you know? And uh, I love that. Like that was so much fun for me. It was really exciting. And then I believe that because I enjoyed that so much, my path forward in life was going to be in biotech. And so I went on to study that in college and it took about two weeks of biotech classes in college to realize that I fucking hated my life and I did not want to do this anymore. Um, and so that's where I started to literally take every class offered. I switched majors six times to try to like quote unquote find myself. Uh, and then kind of actually got really depressed because I had no idea what was going on. I felt super like, like an outcast and I decided to drop out. Um, and I pitched it to my parents as like, Hey guys, like I know that you came to this country to give me a better life and like better education and I'm kind of throwing it all away, but I'm just taking a year off. So don't freak out. And then like in a year I'm going to come back, um, which never ended up happening. So <laughs> what did happen? I mean, when you did go to take that year off and then didn't go back, can you just take us a few, a few of those things that occurred? Yeah. So I had kind of started at that point thinking that maybe entrepreneurship, I kind of like heard that term. And, you know, at that time, this is like we're talking 2013, 2014. So there was the whole like startup thing was really starting to pick up, um, specifically where I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati actually has a really great startup community, which a lot of people like don't expect to hear about, uh, you know, coming out of Ohio. Um, but I actually got involved with that that summer and that year. And I kind of decided that I wanted to do was to have my own like startup. So I went down the whole route of like building out a team and we were, you know, working on this like tech startup that was for, um, outdoor equipment. So the idea was that it was going to be the Airbnb for outdoor equipment where you could put up your tent and somebody else could rent it. Um, and so I did that for a year, um, which ended up blowing up in my face cause it sounds like a good idea, but it, in reality, it's not. Um, but that was my first taste of sort of like business and entrepreneurship and I was hooked. Interesting. And then just, you kept new startup after new startup after new startup that then leads you to present day on the road, digital nomad. Well, so the idea with having a startup for me was always to achieve a level of freedom that allowed me to kind of travel and do what I want to do and pursue the things that I wanted to do. And I didn't know what that was called. Right. And then I heard this term digital nomad and it was described and I don't know where I heard it. Maybe it was a podcast, maybe a YouTube video, maybe I read it on a blog. I can't remember, but I heard the term digital nomad and the way that it was explained, I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I wanted to do. I just didn't know what it was called. And so that term is sort of like a Pandora's box, right? Like you find it and you put that in Google and everything blows up, right? Like you you find all these people doing it and all of a sudden this whole new world was open to me. Um, and that's when I kind of said, actually, I don't think that a funded startup is the right path for me. What is is sort of like this location independent entrepreneurship route. And so that's when I kind of readjusted and, and, and headed in that direction. That's cool. And then so when you did start going down that path, were you looking for some field specifically that was going to be fulfilling for you? Or was it just you take anything from teaching English online to whatever came your way? No. So I, I kind of had like a very specific like idea of what it was that I wanted to do. Um, and so I, I got started with like e-commerce and drop shipping, for example, which I think is super common for um, people who get into this space uh, to do in the beginning. And especially at that time, drop shipping was still like 
really, really popular. So it was everywhere you looked. Um, and I actually took a course to learn how to do it, which was a really, really good course. Um, learned a ton from that. Uh, but even though the store that I launched, I actually was going to sell kegerators online. Like, you know what kegerators are? I do, yeah. For beer, like yeah, beer so. Cakes. Yeah, yeah. So it, I found out that it's a purely American thing. Like you tell anybody else from any part of the world what a kegerator is and they're just like, you Americans are crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so I was going to sell those online through a dropshipping store. Um, and even though that didn't work out because of like margins and just me being a newbie, what I did earn from that course was actually a really good community of people. And two of those people were very successful e-commerce guys who had an FBA brand. Um, and they took me under their wing and they brought me to their company. And that was how I earned what I call like my, my location independent wings, you know, was that was like that first online income that, that got started the whole, the whole thing. Okay, cool. And then, so the audience understands, uh, that's fulfillment by Amazon, correct? FBA. Yeah. So the idea is you create uh, a brand, you you pick a product that a lot of times gets manufactured overseas and you bring it in and then you like send it over to Amazon within a brand that you create. And then Amazon kind of stores that product. So that's why it's fulfilled by Amazon. When somebody purchases it, all, when you purchase it off Amazon, Amazon handles all the shipping and stuff like that. So you kind of just manage the back end of that business. Nice. And where was the first location that you decided to become independent in to, to kind of spread your wings and say, I'm, I'm finally here. It's official. Uh, I went back to Bulgaria. Oh, no <laughs> way. Really? Had yeah, you been so back Bulgaria, quite a bit? Yeah. So I would return about like every other year or so. Um, so yeah, every other summer I'll, I'll go back. Um, but the reason we chose Bulgaria is that actually Bulgaria is a really good place for digital nomads because it's like the European Thailand, so to say. Um, it's really comfortable. The food is cheap. Everything's cheap, but you can lead a really nice like quality lifestyle there. Yeah, it's, uh, that seems to be coming up quite a bit on the radar of all these digital nomads that I'm friends with, whether they're in um, – Ukraine, Bulgaria, Georgia, you know, all these countries, and they're all saying the same thing, like, this is amazing. It's like, you know, Western Europe, but a fraction of the price, a lot of the same amenities, food's amazing, and just making you more, more excited to get there. Yeah, I think, um, I think like, Southeast Asia still has a really big allure, um, so to say, and it's still what I would call, like, the freshman dorms of this lifestyle, uh, but there is something about Eastern Europe that makes it, I, I would say maybe like more comfortable, especially for people that come that have like a Western background. Um, the food is more familiar, you know, specifically in Bulgaria, it's like Mediterranean. Um, and a lot of the things like you said are very familiar and kind of easier to get used to, but the prices are still very, very cheap. Um, and if they're not the same as like Southeast Asia, they're like just a few percents, like a, just a little bit, a little bit like higher. Okay, cool. And so, yeah, throughout this, you know, last two and a half years, you've been nomading. You've had a few incarnations, I'm assuming with like job opportunities. It sounds like you work right now with a digital marketing agency that helps, you know, fund this, but you've also started your own, um, uh, blog or sorry, rem the rem that remote life is the podcast. And then that, Sorry, that remote show is the podcast, and then that remote life is your website, right? Yeah, that's correct. And what are you what are you doing with those? Like, are you trying to so monetize the, them? Or yeah, yeah. So the the plan is to definitely monetize the brand. It was the reason why I started them was that I felt like I started seeing this lifestyle and the things that we do. Sort of like I didn't like the way that they were starting to be communicated about or talked about. Like I thought, I think there's just a lot of people now who are putting out advice that I wouldn't exactly stand behind. And I kind of decided, like, let me put my own voice out there um, and see if people resonate with it. So that's why I started it. Um, and then along, like, that's why I started the podcast. And then the blog was really a way to write and keep track of what I'm doing and get people started to like follow along the journey, so to say. That's really cool. I'd like to talk more about that because I've had a similar feeling about how it's being portrayed as digital nomads post these photos on Instagram, you know, on this location that 
seems kind of impossible to be comfortable in to actually like get work done. It's like super bright. It's sunny. It looks super hot. And they're like, this is my office for the day. And it doesn't quite add up as I know now that I've been in the game for a little bit. It's like, no, dude, you're in a dark hotel room, <laughs> you know, most of the day in a makeshift desk. And maybe I'm wrong. I think there's probably people out there who can make it work. But yeah, what 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 have you found the message to be and what are you trying to change it to? So uh, I agree with you. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who go out to the beach and they bring their laptop and they take that picture and then they post it on Instagram and then they go back home or they go back to that cafe or whatever. Um, and that's always like, you know, I'm I'm guilty of doing that, but it's always like, I think it's, I think that like there's just a lot of people out there who are selling this dream without really like explaining what it is. Like a lot of times it's lonely. A lot of times it's tough, you know, and people need to know that when they get involved in something, they need to know what to be ready for if we're going to give them the best chance of succeeding, right? And then also like you can't think that this is going to solve all your problems. Like I always see people who are like, oh, like I'm unhappy. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. So I'm going to become a digital nomad. It's going to solve everything magically. And a lot of times it can actually have the reverse effect because you know this, if you leave all your family and friends and your community behind, a lot of those issues that you might be dealing with can get worse, right? And so all I wanted to do was I wanted to communicate my experience and what I feel like is an honest experience. Like Yes, I'm going to talk about the nice things, but I want to make sure that I highlight the difficult things too to make sure that you have the best chance to prepare for those things when they do happen. No, that's really cool and honorable of you because, yeah, so that remote show is primarily interviewing digital nomads around the world, tell their story, what it's really like for them. So as one of the digital nomads, what's the biggest challenge you're finding? Like what's the one thing that you consistently encounter at every new location that is maybe bothersome to you? I think there's two things. Um, I think the term digital nomad is actually can be a bit stressful or incorrect because if you say digital nomad and especially like when you're selling this lifestyle as a digital nomad, you're talking about constantly moving, right? That's the nomading part of it. But what you'll see is that a lot of these people who are actually killing it, who are actually successful, aren't really nomading that hard, right? is they'll have a few places that they really, really like and they will like, you know, kind of like settle in for a couple months. Um, they'll build out some friendships. They'll build out a community. You know, maybe they have friends who are coming through all the time so they have those relationships, but they're staying still, right? And then they might go and they'll travel for a month or two and they'll pop around to different places and then they're going to settle down again. Um, but I think that that's, a really important point to make that you can't, for example, like quit your job and then go be a digital nomad and try to build a business and or like a career as well while you're constantly jumping every two weeks. Like it's not going to happen. It, or, okay, I shouldn't say it can't happen, but it'll be extremely, extremely difficult, right? So I think that's the problem. And then I think another issue is, again, that a lot of the times – I think that you don't really hear from the people who are killing it and who are who have figured it out because maybe they're not as outspoken. Um, and so that was like one of the other reasons why I wanted to start the podcast is because I have gotten to meet a lot of these people and I hear their stories. I'm like, dude, like, why aren't you talking about this? Like, why aren't you sharing your story? Because I think that people should hear it. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to like kind of bring more voices to that conversation from people who I know are doing a really good job at what they do. That's cool. So then the blog is what? You just transcribe those conversations or do you go kind of more in depth in, in your personal feeling and post pictures? Is that what the blog's about? Yeah. So the blog is more like if I learn anything, I try to communicate it, you know, in terms of like it's not an interview. It's whatever lessons I learn, I communicate them, but then also try to like I am trying to like build out and test out different business models because I'm just like a, a businessy nerd, like an entrepreneurial nerd. I like to try different things. And so the idea there is to keep track of the things that I try and then people can come in and like one of the things I don't like is that you tend to hear from people who are sort of like like teaching you how to do this stuff once they've like made it and I always thought like man like I wish that I could like go back 
a hundred blog posts or a hundred episodes and hear what it was like for them at that at the beginning and then almost like follow the journey. And so that's kind of like my deal with the blog is to allow people to hopefully knock on wood, you know, a couple of years from now, uh, when things are going well, they can go back to the beginning and kind of follow that journey. No, that's cool. And I can relate to that. I mean, Misfits and Rejects is not just me trying to share these inspirational, cool stories of people like yourself, but to actually track my own process throughout this like desire to become a digital nomad, a viable one, somebody that's capable of flying anywhere I want at any point, staying as long as I want in most circumstances, and then flying home whenever I want to see my family. That's the goal. That's the dream. That's what I'm striving for. So like every like 10 to 20 episodes, I give my audience an update, you know, where I'm at, how it's going. And I've, I'm at this three and a half years and it seems like every time I give an update, it's like, well, back in California, trying to make some more money to go back out and swing the bat again. And, but I think it's real. I mean, I'm, I think I'm coming across very real, authentic because it is, this is not easy. This is the hardest thing I've ever done trying to start my own online enterprise which is something I wanted to circle back to you with because, you know, the nomading term, like you said, is a little bit misleading where, yeah, if you're trying to start your own business or start something that's from scratch on your own, moving every two weeks is, yeah, going to be very difficult. But there is another term that I've heard people use called uh, digital commuting, and that's where people have jobs in the States or wherever they're employed by a company and they just have to show up at certain hours during a day. And depending on the time zone, you just have to be awake for those hours, taking calls, answering emails. And that's a little bit more, I think of a viable way to move around a lot. Like I've had Crystal Morano on here a few times and she's a digital commuter and she's moving like a lot, like once every week or two. Um, but she just has to be online for a certain number of hours a day within these, I think the East coast time zones of America. And she makes very good money. She can turn off her phone and laptop at a certain time and she's done, you know, which is another option. If you can find, and you have the skill set to, to do that, get employed by a company where they just say, yeah, just be available these hours. Like that's a pretty cool option as well. Yeah, I'd um I actually never heard that term. That's a cool term, but I agree, man. One of the really exciting things that's happened in the last couple of years in this in this field is that it has become, I will say, not easy, but relatively not difficult to find a remote job that's like location independent, like what you're talking about. Like I just had a friend of mine, her name is Caroline Lloyd. She was actually on my podcast. And last year we did a trip together and she had quit her job and was kind of trying to figure out this whole thing. And then in three months from the day that she decided that she was going to get like a full-time location-independent job, three months later she had it making way more money than she was making while she was living back in New York City. So it's very real. Like that has now become – like you know when you read the 4-Hour Workweek the first time, which I'm, I'm assuming you've read the book. It's funny. Um, I tried twice and I've never gotten through it. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that he talks about in the book is how like – you, you need to convince your boss. Like you need to like almost like trick them. Like, hey, do these things in this sequence to show them that you can work from anywhere, blah, 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 this kind of stuff. And now I'm like, no, man, just quit. And then, you know, save up some cash, save up like six months of runway and quit if your boss won't do it. And in that amount of time, it's very likely that you'll find a job paying you the same amount of money that you're making now that's just location-dependent friendly. Um, and to your point about how that allows people to move more often, I think it actually really depends on what you do within your job. Um, because yes, if it's if it's something that's kind of where you can clock in and clock out 110%, that works. But if your job is more entrepreneurial, it takes a little bit more of like um, having to think through problems, um, just that sort of thing that it isn't so kind of like cut, you know, cut and paste, it can still be more difficult. Um, that's just something that I've noticed. No, and that makes sense. With your friend finding that job in three months, was it in a field that she was leaving? And then she just was like, hey, I just did this for the last 10 years. I'm skilled at it. And I just want to be a digital nomad and do it. Or was it a new field that she'd never done, never heard of before? Um, 
Yes and no. Um, so she has experience like working with a lot of nonprofits. And so that was like the thing that she kind of wanted to continue doing is to just work with nonprofits because that's what, you know, she gets joy out of. But she didn't really care what she did for those nonprofits. She did end up kind of in like a in like a sales outreach kind of like position for that again. Uh, so she ended up kind of like in the same position for um, nonprofits, but that's why I'm saying like the answer is kind of yes and no. Cool. And then for you right now with your, the digital marketing agency you work with, what are your hours like? What do you have to do for them? So my hours are sort of, um, it's really nice because I don't have hours, right? Like I am like the head of project management and operations. So my job is to make sure that everything is running smoothly and to create a backbone of like operations and manuals that help the company run smoothly as it grows. So like, yes, I technically have like a signed contract of hours, but very often, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's much more entrepreneurial. Like when something needs to get done, it's going to get done. Right. And it's just like, it's nice because I don't have to be at my laptop at nine in the morning, for example. Um, but a lot of times, like, you know, I might be up at like two in the morning or whatever. So, okay, that's cool. So now that you're in um, Budapest, sorry, you have an Airbnb and you're kind of hold like, you know, hold it down for like a month to get some work done, enjoy the city. Do you have friends there that you're visiting? Like, do you have a community now that you kind of jump around to go visit? Or are you just like, you still kind of a solo guy? just getting to know the city and trying to date on Bumble and, and Tinder. Yeah. So actually I have a long-term girlfriend that I'm doing this with. So from the very first day that I became a digital nomad, she was right there with me and we've kind of grown in this together, which has been really amazing because one of the really difficult things is obviously loneliness in this lifestyle. And it's something that I thankfully like, you know, haven't had to experience. Um, you know, like I said, like we're always together and that has a, a different set of, of, you know, problems that come with it is when you live and work and travel with somebody all the time that can bring issues. Um, but in terms of, yeah, we get Airbnbs just about everywhere we go. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to still have an apartment in Varna, Bulgaria, which is why we go there often and like to base ourselves from there. Um, but when we travel as, elsewhere, we try to get long-term Airbnbs, um, we make sure that they have good Wi-Fi, you know, they're in a good part of the area. Um, you know, as you kind of start making more money, we've started, you know, obviously like, hey, a studio is not going to cut it anymore. Let's make sure we have a washer and a bedroom so we can separate, you know, whatever. Um, and in terms of community, uh, yes and no. Like it's just at the more that you do this, the more people you meet who are also doing it and also moving around. And as your community expands, you will always have overlaps, right? And so it's really cool. Like, you know, there might be a buddy here or, you know, like somebody will ask me and they'll be like, hey, like, what are you doing in January? Like, what are your plans? And I'll say, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. And and then that friend will be like, oh, cool. Like, maybe I'll join you, whatever. So the in the beginning, it can be really difficult because you don't know anyone yet that's doing it. But the more that you do it, the more that you get out there, the more that you meet people, you really do form this nice community of people around you. And even though it's not the same sort of relationship that you would have if you are living in the same city all the time because, you know, that person's not always there. But it does make it kind of fun like, oh, like next time we're going to, you know, Spain and this person's going to be there. It's going to be really nice to catch up. Um, so it's different, but it's really fun in a way. It is. And we actually got hooked up through a mutual friend of ours, Nathan Rose, who you interviewed for your podcast. He's episode 111 on mine. Really interesting dude going around the world just writing books and books that aren't even really alike in any way. He just hits an idea, researches the hell out of it, and then sells them on Amazon. And that was a really cool interview. Did you kind of get the same impression from him when you interviewed him for your podcast? Uh, the same impression in terms of what? In terms of like, that's what he does. Just he, he writes these books on just like, I don't want to say arbitrary, but like the best chess moves is one of them or like the best. It's like the chess names of chess moves. The chess like. openings. Chess opening moves. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a business model that I've been really fascinated with for a little while because I know a couple of guys who do that. And um, when I was younger, uh, I had a little bit of an idea that I wanted to be an author. And so now that's like really curious to me and I love like people who do that and there's different ways of doing it, right? Because the other person who I know who does this kind of 
writes a ton of books and he even like outsources to other writers and he has tons of different pen names while Nathan does it a different way where he's actually the author and takes like a really long time to write each book. So it's interesting that both models seem to be like working and seem to be successful. It's just really interesting, right? Like same idea, same business plan, but each one can be tailored to what that person's strength is or what they want their kind of like, even though they're entrepreneurs, what they want their career to look like. No, I'd love to talk about this more. Do you know Derek Murphy? Have you heard of him? Has, did Nathan mention him on your podcast? That he, sounds really familiar. He's he has a like blog this, all about it. Yeah, yeah. It's called um, creativeindie.com where he talks about mm. you know how people can write, self-publish, and make a really good life for themselves living and just – he's awesome. He's on the podcast and I think you know, I'll try to set you guys up so you can come on yours as well. Um, but what you just said about, you know, Nathan's doing this on his own. He's like self-publishing. He's writing everything where there's other groups of people that I know who aren't writers at all, but they have a team of people who find the niche that's like blowing up right now. Say it's like sci-fi vampire books or something like that. And he'll have them write a ton of stuff on these books and sell them. He's crushing it. Like, and he's not, he doesn't, he's not even a writer. But it's just an interesting model that you can easily sort of – not easily. None of this is easy, but um, create and make a living off of. So with when it comes to your writing and being an author, what, what kind of genre of books are you thinking about trying to write or create? Oh, man. I've never actually thought about – I mean like everyone's thought about being an author, I think. Like everybody's thought about writing a book. Only in America, um, brother. Not in China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I would probably write about this. Um, I think – What's happening right now and this movement is really interesting. And just in the two and a half short years that I've been involved with it, it's become so much more popular. And when I first started doing this and I'll mention it to people, they'd be like, you're doing what? And this is digital like, what nomading is this? you're talking about. Yeah, just being okay. location independent, man. Okay. Like it's – I think it's become so much more – comfortable of a concept and i don't know this is the interesting thing right is it because those people that i mentioned it to are around me and they've become more comfortable with that or is it that the the actual thing the actual movement has has become much more comfortable you know within society outside of my smaller circle that's a really interesting thing um i think that it's the latter i think that it is that it has just become much more popular and, and like i said like there's so many more jobs available now and almost everybody now knows somebody who works remotely right so it's not that crazy of an idea but i think we're still living through really exciting times and this is only going to continue in my opinion I agree 100%, and I'm so thankful I stumbled into it, and I found Pat Flynn in 2014, which just blew my mind. I was Googling like how to make money passively so I can basically get back to the life that I loved. I mean, I was living in Nicaragua, surfing all day, every day with my friends, and like I wanted to get back to that lifestyle without having to run surf retreats, so I can just relate to, yeah, this is an exciting time for all of us. It's only going to get better. I'm glad that now I have the computer skills to like at least enable myself to uh, – give it a crack, you know, and make, make a little bit of money doing this. You know, Nathan has a book actually that I don't know if he's finished yet, but it's called citizens of the world. Did he talk about that? He did. And I, uh, I made the mistake, uh, of asking an author when the release date was going to be. And he said, uh, I don't know, but I'll let you know. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'm I, very excited for that to come out. I've emailed him as well. Cause it's like, I think it's, I love the title. Number one, I've actually never read his books, but I'd love to see like what he's ex like extracted from the community and his observations and the content that he's writing about, because that's the future. I mean, citizens of the world, not just with uh, the way that we can be location independent, but with, I think, an ethos that's like, hey, we're all part of this world, dude. Like, it's time to address climate change. It's time to address like a lot of the issues that we as citizens of the world like should take responsibility for, you know? Yeah, and I think that it, that is a really interesting title because it says a lot. Like when you when you become location independent, when you start moving around from country to country, you do become a citizen of the world in terms that like I don't know, like you do one thing here, you do another thing there. You know, you kind of like, okay, what is this place good for? What is that place good for? And then along with that when you run a a company, that is also multinational, you're, you're spreading the wealth, right? Like everybody talks about, you know, uh, like 
you know, offshoring jobs and how bad it is for American economy. And it's like, well, what about what it's doing to that person's life? You know, like I know people who have employees that are in the Philippines and they get amazing joy out of the fact that they can say, because I pay this person, they are supporting their entire family. And so in this way, it's almost like the borders, the the figurative borders are almost coming down and you are essentially becoming a citizen of the world. And I think it's it's really exciting. No. Yeah, I agree, dude. And yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful time to be a part of. So now with, um, your lifestyle, or actually, can I just talk about your, ask you about your girlfriend real quick? What does she do as a digital Mm -hmm. nomad? She is, uh, like in marketing, she does mostly like social media marketing for a business coach. So he's kind of like, uh, a Pat Flynn in his niche, you would say. Uh, I mean, he's not that huge, but He's he's pretty big, and uh, she's part of his team and helps out with his marketing. And she got that job like immediately, or she had that before you guys started nomading? So she had that, but it's a funny story because she found that job through like Upwork, and it was literally like a hundred bucks a week, like random gigs. And she's done an amazing job because she's such a hard worker, and she's awesome what she does, and it's grown into like a full time income that is now like a regular salary in the U S so wait, this is interesting. So she took a job to earn a hundred bucks a week. Cause you guys were going to go nomading did become digital nomads. Um, obviously a hundred bucks a week is 400 bucks a month and that'll sustain you more or less in like places like Thailand. You know, I don't know what the cost of living like is where you're at right now, but where like, were you going to support her through this until she kind of figured it out? Like how was the weight of, you know, living going to be shared? Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where if I knew what I know now, I would have never left based on the fact that I was making like a thousand dollars a month and she was making like four hundred to be like to- and I mean she had other things too. So it's not like she was making just four hundred, but it would fluctuate, right? But I I was what, twenty three? And she was the same age as me and we were both kind of like I was working as a lifeguard before that. Like, yes, I had these like startups, but like you know, if the startup wasn't funded, you're not making any money. So I was working as a lifeguard managing pools and I was just kind of like, it, let's go. Like I had no fear in me because I hadn't yet tasted kind of like failure yet. And so we left and it was fine. I don't think that's enough money to support you. Like even if you live in Thailand, like I think 400 bucks is like, you're not thinking about, okay, like what happens when I come back to the U S like you kind of become like a prisoner of wherever you go and that money can support you. Um, so it just, we just got lucky in terms that it was enough to sustain us while we worked on growing it. And as it grew, that's when it became more sustainable. Um, but if I were to redo it again, I can't say that I wouldn't leave and that I wouldn't take the same steps because that's led me to where I am now. But sometimes I do think like, would it have been better to keep my nine to five job as a lifeguard, no matter how much I hated it and save up that money and then leave and build it up a bit more. It's just interesting in terms of like, you know, different paths that you could have taken. No. Yeah. How many, how much did you save? Like what was the amount that you saved to bail with? Uh, I don't know if I did save. I think I was just so sick and tired of what I was doing that the moment the first check rolled in, I left. Like I was just I was just so done with it because I was managing a really large pool and I was waking up at like four in the morning every day to go work and manage this thing. And then I'll come back at noon and then I'll start working on my own stuff. Um, you know, I'm kind of like trying to build a business or whatever. And so I was just so tired that I think the moment that first paycheck rolled in that was like remote i was like see ya and i just i just left man and i, and I didn't look back so yeah. that's cool i love that i mean you really just cut the cord at you know the first opportunity and some people save two thousand some people save five thousand some people save thirty thousand to be really extra mm-hmm. safe you know so it just there's really no right way to do it it's just doing it it sounds like and you, you summed it up beautifully but i always like to ask this when i'm closing out the show like if you could talk to one audience member out there who is interested in becoming a digital nomad or just starting that, designing that life they've always dreamed of, what would you tell them? I would say start today and set a date and be smart, but don't be afraid because at the end of the day, a lot of times the things that you're afraid of losing are not that difficult to earn back. Um, to give you an example, 
Um, my girlfriend and I, this past beginning of the summer, we kind of decided we wanted to go back home. We want to go back to the U.S., just settle down a little bit and just kind of like take a breather, right? That's the idea of being location independent. You can do what you want to do and whatever you feel like doing. And we went back and it took us two weeks to find an apartment, buy some furniture and, you know, get settled in. And then three months later, we're like, all right, we're done. And we sold all the furniture and we left. And so if you're afraid of like losing those things, those things that you have now, it's not that tough to like get them back when you come back. That's cool. Three months only after buying furniture and all the stuff that people like spend a lifetime to acquire. You did it all and wrapped it up in three months. Good for you, dude. That's super cool. Yeah, we scratched the itch and we were out. <laughs> nice, dude. So if the audience wanted to come hear your show, they just go to That Remote Show on any podcast player, Spotify, iTunes, any third party. And then- yeah, just uh, yeah, just search that remote show anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Um, and then I'd say the other place that you can find me, other than the website, is uh, social media. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Mitcoco. Oh, Mit- no, Mitcoco, which is Mitco, my first name, M I T K O K A, which is the first two letters of my last name. Sick. And then if they're coming to your blog, which is that remote life, it's it's more in depth, sort of like. Um, conversations that you're having with yourself and others kind of expressing the life on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like uh, research that I'm doing or business experiments that I'm running. Love it, Mitko. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time, dude. Yeah. Thanks brother. And uh, if people are listening to this and they want to hear your story, they can also come over cause you're about to jump over on my podcast. So heck yeah. Podcast switch folks. That's how we do it in this business. Awesome. Mitko. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story. I'm inspired. I'm humbled. I appreciate you. I look forward to sitting down with you in the future in Hungary or wherever we find ourselves crossing paths, having a beer telling story and folks you can go on his podcast and hear me talk a little bit more about me because Mitko also interviewed me when we did this podcast swap. And you get a feel for his podcast, That Remote Show, what it's all about, and the people he brings on talking about location independence, becoming a digital nomad, and he leaves a trail of breadcrumbs for you to start your own. Start your own location independent life as a digital nomad. The opportunities that are out there for you, how you can do it, how you can leave your nine to five and travel the world like Mitco. So please pull up that phone, hit the subscribe button if you're not already a subscriber. If you want to head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and get a shirt, I would love to see a photo of you wearing one of the Misfits and Rejects t-shirts. They're super comfortable. I have one for seven days of the week. And also, if you want to get the live, uncut, raw video and audio footage of the interviews I conduct on the road, you can head over to patreon.com, a monthly donation of whatever you want, $1, $2, $5, $10 on up. It's up to you. Nothing is expected. It's all appreciated, but you will start receiving all that live uncut footage of my interviews. So thank you again for joining me. I think you all are so very beautiful. Good luck in 2020. You'll keep hearing from me once a week as usual. I'm excited about 2020. There's a lot of interviews I'm excited to do and deliver to you. So stay tuned and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.